it is wonderful to celebrate Easter with you today. You all look and sound beautiful. You might want to grab your notes out of your handout if you'd like to follow along with where we're going today. Uh, my name is Mike, and I'm one of the pastors on the team, and I need to begin with an apology. You see, uh, Christians have kind of butchered this, this whole Jesus follower thing. We've claimed to have a corner on spirituality, and yet the results are obviously mixed. You see, Jesus seems to make the cover every single year, and the American census reveals that roughly 71% of us identify as Christian. But this prompts me to apologize. And not merely for the Crusades or the Inquisition or the KKK, but also for concepts like indulgences and legalism, televangelists and penance, uh, Christian bumper stickers highlighting non-Christian driving. I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but um, I'm originally, I'm, I'm from California. I moved up here about 13 years ago. And there's a difference in the drivers in California and the drivers in Washington. Here in Washington, you know, it, it, you're really, you're, we're so polite up here. And even like merge is like, you merge. No, you merge. No, you, you know. And the speed limit, that's like a drop dead line. Like you never, you, you don't even get close to the speed limit. You're like, like a couple miles under the speed limit. That's where we are comfortable here in Washington. But in California, the speed limit's just a nice suggestion. And so I had gone back to California to visit and I'm driving uh, on the freeways down there and, and uh, my only crime was being a Washingtonian driver. And yet, uh, you know, cars are passing me and there's people honking and, and I kid you not, a pickup truck just darts aggressively in front of me, the driver flipping me off. And I notice as he speeds away, the Christian fish bumper sticker. And I thought, well, that's a mixed message right there. And so every time that kind of thing has happened to you, for, for every time that you have felt judged or slighted or looked down upon, for every time Christians have come across as hard selling a product more than actually loving, which is what Jesus taught us, then for those things, I am truly sorry. You know, Gandhi once said this, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. If Christians would really live the teachings of Christ as found in the Bible, all of India would be Christian today. And so you see, Jesus' followers, we, we've got some work to do. And I don't know exactly why we're so messed up. I'm really not standing in judgment over anyone. I actually recognize I've got some of the same brokenness inside of me. But I do know why I hawk life and freedom. It's because at some point along my spiritual journey, Jesus and the miracle of Easter has penetrated through, have pierced the darkness of my depravity. And I have seen glimpses, snatches of life that he alone offers. I have lived glorious moments and hours and even days um, filled with the freedom and the life that Jesus offers. And so I can't help myself. This is the fire that burns within me, this glorious attempt and yearning for life in Jesus. And so that's what we're going to go after today. I want you to know, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, you are welcome here today. And I don't know how it is that you found yourself here. Maybe you were, were drug here today. 
or, or drug or, or dragged here today. Maybe, maybe you were drugged and then dragged here today. But however it is that you find yourself here, you need to know that you're welcome and that God has something for you. See, the starting place of all this, just a couple of days ago, what we celebrate as Good Friday. If you've ever seen the movie Passion of the Christ, you know that's an interesting definition of good. Not good for Jesus, good for us. And, and the reason it was good for us is because Jesus went to the cross. Jesus was crucified. He paid the penalty for sin. He paid the debt that all of us are owed. Jesus was an innocent man, but he was killed as a criminal on Good Friday. And that day ends with Jesus being placed in the tomb. But that's not where the story ends. You see, the story continues, and here we are on Easter Sunday morning, and the story continues with Jesus being raised to life. See, this, this resurrection miracle that we celebrate, this puts Jesus in a very specific category, a category of one, the risen Savior category. And, and this is the, the launch of all of our hope, all of the new life and the grace that he offers to us. And if you hear that, you might, uh, maybe for the first time you're processing this, you hear that and you go, well, I, I, I doubt that. And I have doubt about that. And that would be a natural response. I don't know if you knew this, but one of Jesus' original 12 disciples also doubted this. His name was Thomas. And throughout history, we've referred to him as Doubting Thomas. He was probably a really good guy, but he doubted one time, now forever, Doubting Thomas. And the story happened that he wasn't with his disciples on the evening. Jesus, the risen, resurrected Jesus, appeared to the disciples. Uh, he revealed himself to them, but Thomas wasn't present. And so the other disciples ran, and they found him. They said, hey, Tom, you got to hear this. Jesus is alive. Everything has changed. And Thomas said, yeah, I doubt it. I doubt it. I'm not falling for that old I'm raised again after being crucified Messiah trick. I, I won't fall for that. And what's interesting to me is the heart of Jesus revealed because Jesus doesn't leave him there. Jesus finds him. Jesus reveals himself to Thomas. He shows him his hands. He shows him the scars of the crucifixion. And when Thomas encounters a risen Jesus, he falls to his knees and he cries out, my Lord and my God. And friends, that's what I pray for all of us today. I pray that we would have an opportunity to encounter the risen Jesus that we'd have an opportunity to proclaim my Lord and my God to him. So I want to begin with prayer. If you would, please bow your heads and close your eyes with me and let's pray. Jesus, we do ask that you would reveal yourself to us as you did to Thomas. We ask that you would open our eyes to your presence here today. Lord, you know that as we come in here, many of us have, we've, we've built barriers around our hearts, preventing us from experiencing your love. They're keeping us from, from knowing your goodness and your presence here. And so we ask that you would break down those barriers. Allow us to see you. Reveal yourself to us today so that we might proclaim, my Lord and my God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we're going to unpack one verse found in the Bible. It's probably the most famous verse in all of the scriptures. You might be familiar with this verse. You might have seen this at stadiums, on posters, or on the bottom of a to-go cup, or on Tim Tebow's face. This is John 3.16, and I want to unpack it kind of phrase by phrase today, but let's just look at the verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son... 
so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And again, we're just going to unpack this. The first phrase, for God, see, it all starts with God. God is, God was, God always will be. God is the creator starting this whole thing, filling the universe with matter and energy, with purpose, with meaning, with life. It all starts with God, and it all flows from God. I was an undergraduate philosophy major, and I remember one semester being posed this question, why is there something rather than nothing? And so over the course of the semester, we worked on this, this problem all semester long, and really the Cliff Notes version of the answer is for God. You see, philosophers recognize that God is the primary. God is the foundation. God is the source. In fact, he's referred to as the one necessary being. Everything else, all, of, all the rest of creation is referred to as contingent, contingent upon his necessity. Uh, Aristotle describes this as the unmoved mover, right? For those Aristotelian fans out there. <laughs> I don't know, are there Aristotle fans? I have no idea. Um, yeah, probably. I mean, there are golf fans out there, so I, am, I imagine... <laughs> I happen to be one of those, maybe the only pastor on the face of planet Earth that does not play golf. And I just, I want to confess to you, I just prefer sports. So, uh, let's get back to the notes here. Um, it's not that God is, it's also that God is good. So that all existence emanates from God, all goodness also emanates from God. So I want you to think about just the list of the good things that you enjoy in this life. I want you to think about sunshine afternoons. I want you to think about a swim in a lazy river. I want you to think about the aroma of the honey-baked ham kind of wafting through the house. I want you to think about how good a delicious cappuccino is, how fun laughter with friends is, the, the taste of bubblegum ice cream. It's impossible to come up with a list of all of the good things that emanate from God's being because all good things in the universe ultimately find their source in God. It's, it's just this amazing reality. Even random realities like echoes, uh, how God created sound to travel as a wave and that it would come and, and that it would reverberate off of things and it would bounce back and forth and linger I found this video clip, maybe you've seen it, of a 14-year-old in in, in, near a well in Italy utilizing echoes in a beautiful way. Go ahead and watch this video. I've heard there was a secret chord that David played and it pleased the Lord. But you don't really care for music, do you? When it goes like this, the fourth, the fifth, the minor fall, and the major lift, the baffled king composing hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Isn't that beautiful? And she's just 
beautifully using creation to create something beautiful herself. And again, it all has its source in who God is, for God. And then the next phrase, so loved, for God so loved. In fact, God not only loves in general, but he loves you. And the action of his love stems from his identity. It's who he is. Love is not just one of the character qualities of God. Love is who God is. And that's why the scripture says, because God is love. It's who he is, and so it's what he does. Love is a choice, and God chooses to proactively love, preemptively love. He doesn't kind of love. He doesn't sort of love. He so loves, and the love that he has for us is pure, wholesome. It's sacrificial. It's for our best. I always have had a tough time really getting my mind around understanding how much God loves me, and maybe that's you. Maybe you have a tough time getting your mind around understanding how God loves you. And the analogy that's helped me most through the years is the analogy of how I love my own children. I have three kids. I'm a a proud father of three, and I am crazy for my kids. I am crazy about them. For those of you who journey at Overlake, you know, I'm often kind of sharing about uh, the relationship that we have. And and what's interesting is is I I, I just cherish the time that I get with them. Uh, many years ago, this is about 10 years ago, I, I used to have this routine in the mornings where I'd get up early before anyone else in the house. I'd go down to my home office downstairs, and I'd just spend some time journaling, maybe reading the Bible, praying, just getting ready for the day. Well, my middle son, Caleb, he was about three years old, four years old at the time. He discovered that, and so he would also get up early, and he'd come downstairs to find me. And there'd be many mornings where we'd just sit on the, the big chair together, and I'd be sipping my coffee. He'd be sipping his warm milk. We'd be reading together, just spending the time. I just love those. You know, my father's heart just loves that time. Well, one morning, I remember I was actually kind of spread out on my belly. I was just journaling, just spread out on the floor of my home office. And I hear Caleb kind of pitter-pat down the stairs, and he comes in. And instead of sitting near me, he decides to just lay on me. And he he puts his head kind of right on the back of my head like a pillow. He stretches his legs out. They almost make it to my waist. And he just lays on top of me, doesn't say anything. And my heart was so full. I was just so, I was just so in love with this moment that I was having with my son. And, And we're there quietly for a few moments. And then he says, Dad, can I ask you a question? And I'm thinking... Oh, yeah, I'm ready for anything. I'm like, God, girls, cars, you name He's four, but I'm ready. Like, this is going to be a significant moment right here. And he goes, Dad, did you know lizards can lick their eyeballs? (laughs) I did not. I do now. But you see, I, I just, I love that time, and I, I, I treasure that in my heart, and, and I love all of my kids. I love all the time that I get to spend with them and just enjoy their presence. And, and here's the thing. That's how God feels about you. He loves you. He, he cherishes those times that you choose to draw near to him, that you choose to spend with him. That's what his love looks like. 
But I want to be honest, just this reality that God is love and that God loves you doesn't mean that God is always pleased with the choices that we make. See, he knows you. He knows me. He he knows us more intimately than we know ourselves. And so he sees where we're broken and, and where we stumble. He sees where we choose things that hurt ourselves or hurt other people. And, and so he knows what we need most is a savior. And that's why out of his love, he chooses to send one. For God so loved, the next phrase, the world. And in many ways, we recognize this is a greedy, selfish, vain, fallen planet. There's a lot of heartache that humans enact upon themselves and a lot of heartache that humans enact upon one another. There's a lot not to love about this world. But God chooses to love it consistently, intentionally, steadfastly. You see, God loves every square inch of it. He loves every grub worm, every canyon. He loves every glacier, every panda. And most of all, more than anything else, he loves every person made in his image. You see, you and I might think that the most beautiful thing in the universe is the Milky Way on a clear desert night or fireflies over a twilight river. But I'm telling you, a magnificent sunrise over the Himalayas has nothing on the beauty that God sees when he looks at you. You might think that the Grand Canyon is so glorious that it takes your breath away, but I'm telling you, God looks at a city or a high school or a room like this filled with people, and he just goes, oh my goodness, look how beautiful, look how incredible. He's calling the angels over. Hey, hey, guys, come here, take a look. This is the creator delighting in his creation. He loves the world. He loves the whole world, all the people in the world, and he knows how far it's fallen. He sees that it's fallen, that it's broken, so his plan is to bring it back to himself. His plan is nothing short of the reconciliation of all things. See, the Bible says this, for God was in Christ, in Jesus, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And you might want to underline that phrase. This is what Jesus accomplishes. No longer are our sins counted against us. You see, he loves the world, so he takes care of the sin problem that has brought separation between us and our heavenly Father. For God loved the world so much that he gave. See, God's heart is a giving heart, a generous heart. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, from our heavenly Father. He is a good dad. And his heart is to bless. His heart is to heal. You see, giving comes from love. And God shows us what this looks like in a limitless way because he chooses to give the very best, most precious, the most priceless gift that there is. He gave his one and only son. He gave Jesus. Now, Jesus is the unique revelation of God's heart to us. He is one of a kind. He's so special that we use the phrase son of God to describe the connection that they share, the unity that they have. And it's so wonderful. Jesus reveals to us what God is like. The Bible tells us this, that Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Jesus is a snapshot of what God is like. And so he came not only to show us what God's heart is like, but also to pay the debt of our sin. He nailed the record of our sins to the cross with himself. Jesus came to pay the penalty. 
You see, it says this in the book of Romans. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. And Jesus willingly embraced his role in this. He, he knew that his purpose was to be the sacrifice for your sin and for mine. And he willingly stepped into this role for a very specific reason. It's so that everyone, so that everyone, everyone, anyone, whosoever, from any religious background, any IQ level, from every tribe, any birthplace, Friends, there is no exclusionary clause in the list of who God loves. There is no disqualifying pre-existing condition. In fact, the pre-existing condition is exactly what qualifies everyone that we are all in need of a Savior, that we have all fallen short. We have all missed the mark. Every one of us needs forgiveness. Every one of us needs grace. So what I did is I took a look at this verse, you know, for God so loved the world uh, that uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that everyone, I was like, what does that mean in the original Greek text? So I looked up everyone in the original Greek and here's what it means. Everyone. It means every single one of us, everyone who ever lived, everyone who ever will live, but specifically for purposes this morning, every one of you here, every one of you watching online, that it's every one of us that God had in mind, that he chooses to love, that he chooses to give to. And the reason for this is because all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. So because all of us have sinned, because all of us have fallen short, God sends Jesus. Jesus extends the invitation to everyone. The next phrase, who believes in him. Everyone who believes in him. Friends, believing opens us up to participating in his love. Believing is what readies my heart to receive his gift of grace that Jesus has provided for me. It's not some kind of a hoop you have to jump through in order to receive salvation. It's actually what receiving the gift of salvation looks like. It's how we receive it by believing that Jesus has provided this for us. See, the Bible says people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life. So you might want to circle that word believe. This is how we're made right with God. Believing is our response to his invitation. It's how we receive the invitation of his grace, the offer of his salvation. And what it looks like is we place our trust in Jesus. See, the Bible says everyone who believes will not perish. And I just want you to know, perish is... It's a bummer kind of a word. So I hit an online thesaurus. I was just curious. Maybe there's other words that we could talk about today. There are 641 synonyms of perish, and every single one is unpleasant. Not a whole lot of wiggle room here. It's a concept that we don't like to think too much about. And so scholars throughout the last 2,000 years have debated on what exactly perish means, and no matter how they define it, it's still a downer. Traditional views of eternal conscious torment or spiritual death or annihilation, scholars have argued them all. And I don't know how you view this word, but the chances are whether you view perish as being beaten by bamboo rods, which is barbaric, or being forced to push a boulder up a hill day after day after day, which is Grecian, or being forced to listen to country music forever, 
which is pure medieval torture. I've offended so many of you today. <laughs> I'm just thinking of the, the country-loving golf fan right now, and <laughs> might need to apologize to you as well. The point is that all definitions of parish include a separation from God's goodness. They include a separation from God's love, a separation from God's existence. And, and, and so it, it's important to note that no matter how you define parish, the Bible is clear that parish is not God's plan for you. It's not God's plan for anyone. In fact, that's why this verse has a big not in front of it, not perish. That, that God's invitation, that God's heart is that nobody would perish, but that everyone would believe in Jesus and receive the gift of his grace for us. And I just want to park there for a minute. This is such good news. Do you know what this means? This means that God has not overbooked your flight to heaven. You will not be involuntarily reaccommodated off of your trip into eternity. He loves you, and he has done everything possible so that you do not perish. You will not perish. This is not his heart for you, but his heart is that instead of that outcome, that you would actually receive eternal life, that you would receive eternal life, that you would have eternal life. And so let's unpack this for a moment. Eternal life actually means life upon life upon life. It's this beautiful poetic picture. And it has, it has connotations for this life and it has connotations for the next one. In this life, the connotations are, are more of abundance. Jesus says that he came that we might have full, abundant life. And so the recognition is as we believe in him, we receive this heaps and scoops of abundant life, the fullness and the richness of life. And so you might think about relationships that flourish, relationships with your children or your parents, relationships with your siblings or your friends. You might, you might think about how marriages become more and more vital and, and vibrant, how there's more serving and more selfless loving within them. You might think about, say, personal growth and the way that we all continue to, to pursue this idea of getting better and, and becoming more our best selves and all of that is wrapped up in the abundance that Jesus himself lives with and then the abundance that Jesus offers to us. And it's a beautiful picture, but that's not the whole story because eternity is very definitely a part. This idea of not just abundant life now, but we have that abundance in eternity where we get a chance to see ourselves completely healed of all of our brokenness all of our tendencies to be selfish or vain or greedy or lustful or rude or our tendencies to dominate or to control or to manipulate, and the list goes on and on and on, but finally and forever being healed of all of those things so that we could be our very best self, the self that God created us and calls us and ultimately will present us as being glorified. That we'll get a chance to live in, a, in harmony with one another in a, in a totally reconciled and renewed universe where there's no disease, there is no destruction, there's no death forever and ever. Amen. 
this full, rich, wonderful, abundant, eternal life. This is what gets me passionate. This is what drives me. This is where we're coming back to the beginning now. This is what fuels me so much in the pursuit of living that life and then extending the invitation to that life. That's what I want to be about. And so as we trust in Jesus, as we place our hope in him, we believe in him, the Bible tells us that we get a chance to live that more and more and more over the course of our spiritual journey. You see, there is actually power that comes from God helping us to live this life that he calls us to live. And so what I want to do is I want to read this verse to you because it ties in a couple of these concepts. The idea of us believing in Jesus. And as we believe in Jesus, we receive the power to live the life that he has called us to live. The scripture says this. These things are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name.
or that you would be reminded of him, of what he can do in your life. Death could not hold you, veil torn before you, silence the boast of sin and prayer. The heavens are rolling, praise of your glory, for you are raised to life have a seat. What a powerful name it is. The scripture says, and by believing, you may have life in the power of his name. The scripture says, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. So I want to close our time together by just offering that invitation to you that, that you would believe. Maybe you're here today and you already believe, so today would just be a perfect day to recommit yourself to him, to just reaffirm your belief in Jesus. But maybe, maybe you're here and you never have decided to believe. You've never placed your trust in Jesus. I would really encourage you to receive this invitation today. Sort of, sort of taking that step across the line of faith. And we just recognize it is a first step, but it's, it's the most important step. 
It's the most important step to say, yes, Jesus, I I do believe in you. Yes, Jesus, I I do want to receive this gift that you're offering me, this gift of abundant and eternal life, the gift of your grace, the gift of your love. Yeah, I want to live my life like that. And so our... The invitation before you today is real simple. It's just in, in your heart as we pray that, that you would just say yes to him. That you would say maybe something like, Jesus, I don't even know what all of this is about, but I know that, that I do believe and that I want to, to walk this faith journey with you. You see, talking to Jesus, it's really simple. He is with us, and so we can just speak to him directly, and that's what we call prayer. So why don't we pray right now? If you would, just bow your heads and close your eyes. And Jesus, we do want to say thank you. Thank you for the reality of your resurrection. Thank you for your invitation to new life. And Jesus, what we want to do is we want to receive your gift of grace today, your gift of life. And so we do. We say yes to you. Yes, Jesus, we believe in you. Yes, Jesus, we receive the gift of your grace in our lives. We ask that that you would continue to be with us and show us what it looks like to be on this faith journey with you. But Jesus, we choose to declare today what Thomas declared 2,000 years ago. Jesus, you are my Lord and my God. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Mm -hmm.